My name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors at Grace. Thank you for joining us, whether you're here in person or you're joining us online. We are at the end of our Advent sermon series, looking at how COVID has brought out some not-so-great things about us, some deep, dark issues in our hearts. Uh, And our sermon series has also been examining what Jesus' coming and second coming have to say about those issues. This morning, we lit the fourth candle, the candle of peace, And, you know, as I was thinking about it, it is strange that for most of us, our lives have been um, shrunk down over the past eight to ten months. They've been simplified. We mostly don't go very many places. Many of us haven't traveled outside of San Jose, or if we have, it's been one or two times only. I counted, I've only filled up the tank of my car seven times this year. Our lives have become much smaller because of the coronavirus, and yet, in that simplicity, I don't think any of us would say that our lives have become more peaceful. I don't know any of you that would say your life this past year has been peaceful. But how would you feel if I said that peacelessness isn't always a bad thing? Let's listen to the gospel according to Matthew. We're in chapter 26. I'll be reading verses 47 through 56. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, Do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew a sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send more than twelve legions of angels? But how then? Should the scriptures be fulfilled that it might be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Oh God, we come before you in different levels of peacelessness. Some of us are excited for the end of the year, excited to have a break from work. Some of us are terrified for this week and the end of the year. I ask that this morning you would speak to us through your Spirit, that these words would bring peace to us, not because they tell us what to do, but because they point us to what you've done and what you are doing in our lives. I pray that my words would fall to the floor and only your words remain. And I pray this in the mighty name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Uh, Growing up, my grandparents used to take us grandkids to go see the off-Broadway performances that came through town at our local theater. And I loved it. I got to go see Stomp and Phantom of the Opera and Annie Get Your Gun all at a young age. Uh, But when we went and saw My Fair Lady when I was six years old, something happened that I will never forget. We got to the theater, and we found the row where our tickets were. We were walking down the row, and as we got to our seats, my grandfather, grandmother, and I 
we found that there were two people sitting in two of our seats. Now, as a six-year-old, I didn't really care. It didn't bother me that much. But it really bothered my grandfather. And uh, he was the type of guy who was incredibly quiet, kept to himself. Even when we were having a big family celebration, he would be sitting in his chair in the back room reading a book or watching TV. So I felt uh, confused, a little bit scared. I definitely remember feeling a bit sick as I watched him yell at this man who was standing next to, I assume was his wife, sitting in our seats. I don't understand why he was incredibly upset, but he yelled and yelled and screamed. And finally, it was either my grandmother or one of these innocent bystanders, or I guess bysitters, explained that the numbering system in the theater started in the center of the row and worked its way out. So there were two numbers on each row, one for the left side and one for the right side. And uh, we were standing at like 15, 16, 17 right, but our tickets were for 15, 16, 17 left. And so even though the confusion had been cleared up, as we walked past these two people that my grandfather has berated for the past couple minutes, um, he stumbled and gave this man a forearm shiver right in the side. And I was so taken aback. Just the emotional... uh, chaos that had gone on in front of me was so different than what I expected. The peace of that morning had broken in such a way that it was seared into my memory. But I never asked my grandfather what was going on in his mind or his heart. I never asked my grandmother what she thought had happened either. But in reading this passage, I am confident that Peter knows exactly the same feeling that was going through my grandfather's mind. See, in John's account of this uh, scene of Jesus' arrest, John 18 tells us that the man who was with Jesus, who drew the sword and cut off the servant of the high priest's ear, was, in fact, Peter. There that evening in the garden, there was a disruption of expectation, a fracture of the peace of life. Same for my grandfather. To him, it was someone stealing his seat. For Peter, it was the arrest and betrayal of his best friend, a man who he was pretty sure was God in the flesh. And both Peter and my grandfather reacted in much the same way, out of anger and aggression. And I'm willing to wager that in the past eight to ten months, the disruption of your quote-unquote normal life, the peace that you thought was yours, has led you to react similarly, out of anger, maybe aggression, Let me ask you this. How many times did you get angry this past week? What about yesterday? How about this morning? See, this passage and all of Scripture, all of our lives show us that peacelessness actually reveals what's already inside of our hearts. And often it's bad, hurtful, sinful thoughts or actions that are lurking within. Many times it's anger. But the Bible also tells us here in this passage that peacelessness might actually reveal that Jesus is at work, that he is up to something. Jesus is always at work, and peacelessness might attract our attention to what he's doing. And because that's the case, we should trust in Jesus' power. Three points this morning. Peacelessness reveals what's inside. It also reveals Jesus' plan. So let's trust his power. Peacelessness reveals 
what's inside. That's the first point. That's a really important point, the fact that it's revealing what's inside, incredibly important to what's happening in the passage. Uh, Peter has already had a pretty full evening up until this point. He started out at a home in Bethany, which is where Mary showed up and broke an alabaster jar full of ointment that she poured all over Jesus. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Peter was there for that. Judas gets up and leaves, and he goes and sells Jesus out to the chief priests, and he comes back, and he and Peter and the rest of the disciples have a last supper with Jesus, the last supper. And then Jesus tells the disciples that they're all going to scatter, and Peter's going to betray him. And then they get up and they go to the garden in Gethsemane. Jesus leaves Peter, James, and John to watch out as Jesus goes off to pray. And of course, Peter, James, and John, they fall asleep. When Jesus comes back and they wake up, this is what happens. The mob shows up with Judas to arrest Jesus. What was Peter thinking? Drawing a sword against what verse 47 says is a great crowd with swords and clubs. What is going through his mind? What is in his heart? Nothing that wasn't there already. Think about what we know about Peter. Some of the stories that we've been told about who he is. He is a man of action. He is a doer. He is strong-headed. We might even say he is stubborn. Think about it. When Jesus is walking on the water and all the disciples are in the boat, it is Peter who says, call me to you. Let me do something. Show me what I can do through your power. A couple uh, weeks after this event, a couple days after this event, excuse me, when Jesus rises from the dead, the disciples are once again all in a boat, and they see the resurrected Jesus on the beach. Peter doesn't wait for the boat to get back to shore. He jumps out, and he swims. He's impetuous. And the interaction between Jesus and the disciples just before this, where Jesus says, you will all betray me, Peter's impetuousness, his stubbornness sticks out. Jesus says, you're all going to leave. Peter says, no, Jesus, you you got me wrong. Even if they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus says, before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. What is Peter's response? Oh, man, Jesus, is that really true? No. He says, no, Jesus, even if I have to die with you, I will never betray you. (laughs) He is so stubborn. And that certainty that impetuousness, and maybe even a little anger comes out when Judas, when Judas shows up with the crowd and he breaks the peace of Peter's life and the silence there in the garden. What is it that the past eight to ten months of peacelessness has brought out in you? Is it maybe anxiety? Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's an unwillingness to deal with emotions, and so you pour all your time and energy and effort into work or into social media. I know for myself and a lot of you, it has been anger. Anger in the way we think about what's happening to us. Anger in the way we respond to others, in the way we talk about current events. Even in the smallest little things, I've noticed it coming out in my life this past week. When I drive from my house here to the church, uh, it's just a straight shot down Moore Park. But I always try to get the green lights, right? There's like six lights between my house and here, and I just want every green light. Well, last week, I was doing pretty good. I made it all the way to San Jose Community College, which is just right here, and the light in front of the, the college, the 
the driver in front of me stopped short on a yellow. I was a little bummed. I had made it all that way on greens, and now I missed it. But what frustrated me even further was when the light eventually did turn green, he, the driver just sat there, didn't move at all. Well, I was trying to play it cool because I knew they were just on their phone. They were probably checking the gram. But when the car behind me honked at me for not going, I lost it. I was trying to be cool. I was trying to maintain the peace, but the honk of the horn broke the silence. It broke the peace that I had, and out comes the anger. Not me, you might be thinking. I'm not really that angry. I don't get mad all that much. I don't yell. I don't scream. I'm just not an angry person. Well, then you might have something in common with Raylan Givens, who is the main character in my all-time favorite TV show, Justified. It ran on FX years ago. It is incredibly violent. Please don't go watch it. But let me tell you about the plot. <laughs> Raylan Givens grew up in Kentucky. He would uh, mind coal as a teenager. And in order to leave his hometown and get away from all the stuff he disliked, he became a deputy U.S. marshal and was transferred down to glamorous Miami. But because of a shooting that he uh, participated in in episode one, of the show, he is transferred back to Kentucky. He goes to Lexington and he has to deal with his deadbeat dad, his stepmom, his ex-wife, and all the memories and people and things that he was trying to get away from. And in the first episode, he's talking with his ex-wife, explaining what happened in order to have him transferred back here. And he says, I guess I just never thought of myself as an angry man. And she responds, Raylan, you do a good job of hiding it. And I suppose most folks don't ever see it, but honestly, you are the angriest man that I've ever known. That's us. That's me. 2020 has revealed the anger that is deep inside, that we try so hard to cover up, to hide, to prevent anybody from seeing because 2020 has destroyed the peace of our lives. Was Peter angry in this moment in the garden? We don't know for sure. It seems likely, though. But I know that most of you are angry, trying to keep it in, trying to cover it up. And COVID has broken the peace. And what's inside is coming out like the sword. What's interesting is Jesus isn't actually very faced by this mob showing up, by Judas being there and betraying him. Because for Jesus, it's all going according to plan right? Peacelessness might actually reveal Jesus's plan. Twice in this passage, Jesus mentions that all this is happening so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. In verses 54 and 56, he says this, why are you talking about the scriptures, Jesus? You're being arrested. There is a mob here coming to take you away by force. What do the scriptures matter? Well, it's important to know what scriptures he's talking about. He's probably referencing verses like Psalm 22, where the psalmist writes, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which he will utter on the cross in just a few short hours. Or Isaiah 53, the prophecy where Isaiah says that God's Messiah, the one he will send to save his people, to, to bring them up and bring them back home, is not going to come in like a king on a white horse installed on a throne, but will be instead stricken, smitten, and afflicted, and pierced for our transgressions. Or what about Zechariah 12, 
where the prophet writes this, God's words through Zechariah, chapter 12, verse 10, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him. And then a few verses later in 13.1, On that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. Even when Peter's expectations are broken, the peace that he was loving has been shattered, Jesus is still working out his plan. What plan? In eternity past, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit agreed that all of God's children would be saved from the power and penalty of their sin through God the Son becoming a man and suffering and dying and rising again. It's called the covenant of redemption. And one of the ways that the Old Testament, that the scriptures and the prophets talk about this salvation, this great redemption, is by using the phrase restoring shalom. They had this concept of the way things were in the garden, the order with which God created all things, the perfect relationship between creatures and creators, and between uh, creators, creator, one, singular, and between creatures themselves, right? This is the way things were before sin entered in and twisted everything up and messed it all up. It's called shalom. And the way that your Bible, the English Bible, translates shalom is peace. This plan, Jesus' plan, is all about restoring peace to you and to me and to all of creation, and it costs him peace. A couple of years ago, we visited my family in Florida for Christmas. We were staying with my brother and his girlfriend, and on their coffee table, there was this 3D wooden puzzle. It looks like it was built out of Tinker Toy or um, Lincoln Logs, you know, wooden pieces that kind of fit together, and when you put them in the right order, it looks like a star. Well, of course, me being me, I sit down the first day, pull out a piece, and the whole thing falls apart. And my brother looks at me just with shock and disappointment, and he said, like, we've had this for a couple of months. We took it apart the first day, and we only got it back together last week. So good luck with this. Well, I am the type of person who likes order, so seeing all of the pieces there on the coffee table, the disorder that I had caused created disorder within me. I couldn't leave this this way, so I spent the rest of the trip, anytime we were at home, trying to figure out how to put it together. Right? The, the discomfort, the disorder inside of me drove me to fix the disorder out there. So Jesus' plan was for him to experience peacelessness, to come and to experience the ultimate disorder and peacelessness, suffering and dying on the cross, bearing the punishment of our sins so that we might have peace. And that was always the plan. So hang with me here. Let me, let me make sure we're all on the same page. It seemed disruptive and peaceless to Peter, but it was part of Jesus's plan. Is it possible that what seems disruptive and peaceless to you could be revealing part of Jesus's plan for your life? Could it be that the things that are causing disruption in your life are pointing out where Jesus might be working? The things that cause anxiety or fear or anger might actually be pointing you to the peace of Jesus. 
if that's even possible, then we really need to pay attention to the other thing Jesus says in this passage. And we need to trust his power. Trust Jesus' power. It's my last point. Jesus talks about the scriptures, right? He reminds Peter of the plan from generations ago, but then he also says this in verse 53. Do you think I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? All right, quick Roman math lesson. A Roman legion had about 6,000 soldiers in it. So 12 legions would be 72,000 people. Right? I double-checked on a calculator because my math isn't great. 72,000 angels. And at the time, most historians believe that the Roman standing army was 350,000 people. And so that means Jesus is saying, do you not think that I have the power to ask my father to send one-fourth of the Roman army of angels here? And he would do it? That's not Jesus flexing on Peter. He's not trying to show off his phenomenal cosmic power. He is trying to get Peter to understand how power should be used, right? This scene sticks out as odd to me in the Gospels. There's something different about this. The, the strange attack from Peter cutting off an ear just doesn't fit with the teaching and the loving and the healing and the ministry of Jesus Something is off about it. And it, I actually, in my brain, is connected to another outpouring of power, and that is Jesus flipping over the tables in the temple. These, these two things don't fit together, and they seem very different. Right here in this passage, Jesus is correcting Peter's outburst, but in the temple, Jesus' outburst, his anger, is on display. Here, Peter's assertion of power is discouraged. But in the temple, Jesus showing his power, his physical power, is put on display. He ran the money changers off. He flipped over the tables. Why? Because they were keeping people from coming to God. He got angry and he displayed his power, disrupted the peace in order to help people come to God. It's all about bringing people in, bringing them closer, gathering them together. And that's the difference, right? That's what Jesus is getting at here. By not exercising his power over all of creation here in the garden, Jesus is drawing people, Peter, the disciples, and us closer to God. Using power is all about bringing people in, right? So simply put, Jesus is telling Peter and us through this account I can do absolutely anything that I have to do or nothing at all if it will accomplish my plan for peace. Absolutely anything or nothing at all. There comes a point in every sports season where every professional sport, in every professional sport, fans and analysts alike ask the question, what can my team do to win a championship? What has to be done? Maybe it's about halfway through the season, three quarters of the way through the season. And almost always there's two answers, right? There's the teams that are playing really well this year. And people say, well, you got to fix the problems. So you need to trade this guy. You need to go out and sign this player. You need to make sure that your defense gets better, your offense gets better, whatever it is, and then do everything you have to do to make it to the championship this year. But then the teams that are doing really poorly, they say something different. Maybe don't do anything. Maybe just keep losing games so that you can draft the best player, 
and try to get to the championship next year, right? Last season, there was a great quarterback coming out of Alabama. His name was Tua Tungavailoa. Miami Dolphins weren't playing so well last year, and fans started showing up to their games wearing shirts that said, Tank for Tua, meaning do nothing. Lose all the games so that you could get the best possible player next year. Do everything or do nothing. Jesus is telling Peter, I can do either of those. I can do all of it or nothing, whatever I have to do to bring home the prize. Here's the thing, God's children, we are the prize, which means this, that Jesus is at work in your life. He is working powerfully, or maybe patiently, working out his plan to bring peace to you and you to peace, right? This is the good news of the gospel for us contained in this passage. No matter how disrupted your life seems, no matter how peaceless it seems, Jesus is at work. He is at work bringing you into his shalom, into his peace, right? And the, the, the accounts of this story contained in the gospel are rather interesting. You see, John tells us that the man who lost his ear, his name was Malchus, and he was the servant of the high priest. Luke tells us that after his ear was cut off, Jesus reaches out and he touches Malchus's head and heals, restores his ear. I don't think that Malchus ever felt the same about his ear. How could you? I don't think Peter ever forgot this scenario either. He was a fisherman and he cut a man's ear off. Both Peter and Malchus had memories connected to Jesus using his power, but using them differently. For Malchus, it was powerfully. Jesus shows up powerfully and fixes his ear. For Peter, Jesus' power is patient, waiting for Peter to come to repentance, reminding Peter, I knew this would happen. This is all part of the plan. And so when it comes time for Peter to repent, he does. That's what I want you to think about going into this week, into Christmas, into the end of the year. I'm going to be honest with you. Your life is going to be peaceless at times, maybe the whole time. What is coming out? If it is sinful, if it is anger, if it is aggression, guess what? Jesus is at work bringing you to peace, so repent. If your response to the peacelessness is fear or concern or anxiety, take heart. Jesus is at work bringing you peace. Let's pray. God, we thank you that your mission in our lives is a mission of peace. We confess that we're the ones who screwed that up, that our sin messes up the perfect order of your world, your shalom. But we thank you that you did not leave us in that state. But you came to us taking on human flesh, living a perfect life, dying the death we deserved, and rising again so that we could know peace, so that we could know you. We pray this in the mighty name of your son, Jesus. Amen.